Hello and welcome to episode 96 of Page One, the Writers Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. On the podcast, we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing process, how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. If this is your first episode, please do check out our back catalogue because we've got a whole range of great authors, journalists, screenwriters, video game writers, comic writers, comedians and any other kind of writer has probably (laughs) been on the show already telling us all their all their industry secrets so please do check that out and um to keep up to date with what's happening we've got an exciting announcement we're going to start a regular newsletter where you can get highlights of the latest guests as well as finding out what's coming up on the podcast and you also get a discount of one of our page one writers notebooks as well Very so exciting what a, it is. what a reason what a to subscribe what bar exactly because this is a this is exciting we're at episode 96 episode 100 is just on the horizon there marco and we've got some very exciting guests lined up well for for episode 100 we have a very special guest mm-hmm. uh, but we will there will be more news about that in fact in the newsletters there's another reason to sign up <laughs> so you can sign up uh, on our website which you can see in the podcast description but back to this week's episode we've got a great guest kicking off this this batch of episodes we do indeed tasmina perry is our guest today she has written a whole bunch of books started back in 2006 she's written books with her husband she's written uh, books under pseudonyms um she started started off as journalist uh, very interesting uh, entry point, uh, yeah. excellent story, which I won't spoil. Well, but... she, she started off at, like us as lawyers. Yeah. But, um, then and she randomly, saw the light. Yeah. Ra- randomly decided to interview someone. We won't say who it was. And that kind <laughs> yeah. of kicked off the the path into writing for her, which uh, is definitely a unique path, but she's made a great success of it. And um, most recently, she's moved into the world of thrillers, r- writing under the pseudonym J.L. Butler. Um, and she also talks to us about moving... Or not quite moving on from traditional publishing because she still has some traditional publishing, but she's also started her own publishing imprint as well, yeah. which is sort of this middle ground, I suppose, between self-publishing yeah. and traditional publishing, but it gives the author more control and, frankly, a bigger cut of, of any sales as well, which is obviously important. Yeah, it's a really interesting new model, which we're seeing more and more authors go down. So we chat about that and she's got some very good points if anyone else is thinking about going down that route. Yeah, she's got actually lots of good advice for, for writers, new and old. So um, it's a great episode, but we've rambled on long enough. The one thing that I will say is that we did record this episode on Zoom and unfortunately the audio quality of my recording isn't particularly <laughs> great, but fortunately I don't speak that much. It's, it's mainly Tasmina, so it, there's nothing to worry about there. The less you hear, hear from me, the better, probably. So we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for page one, our writer's notebook, and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. 
But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. I think I'm right in saying that you started out as a lawyer, which is something that Tarek and I can both sympathise with, um, and then got out of it very quickly as well, quite sensibly. <laughs> We're a tribe together. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I mean, it's interesting. How quickly did you know this isn't for me. Uh, the, probably during the degree, but I stuck with it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's something I think early on, I think you, you, you do kind of get that feeling of this is fine and it's, and it's, you know, and, and it's a nice job and there's a lot of plus points to it, but it's not that kind of, it doesn't get your fire going, does it, inside? Yeah. And I think as well, it's sort of it, it. You start on a path, don't you? And obviously, you've mm-hmm. got lots of voices in your ear, sort of saying, "This is prestigious. This yeah. is a secure career." And then, before you know it, you finish your degree. Before you know it, you're at law school. Before you know it, you're doing your traineeship. And then, at the age of twenty-four, which is where I was, you know, I, I got as far as qualification. You sort of think, actually, the partner in the chair sitting in the next office that's not who I want to be so it's really difficult conversations and it was actually only by luck that I got out of the law really because when I was I used to I lived in Manchester and you may not remember but there was a place called Granada Studios Tours and it was sort of it was almost like a theme park attached to Coronation Street. And that was (laughs) my summer job and I sort of graduated from the burger van to the hot dog caravan which was which was quite a prestigious gig <laughs> and uh and one day and I was literally just about to go to law school um so I'm sort of at the end of my degree here it's that summer after graduation mm-hmm. you know like you I know I don't want to be a lawyer but it's quite scary turning around when you've mm-hmm. done three yeah. years of hard work and so I was I was dishing out my hot dogs and a band came to dance in front of the, the caravan. 
And actually, in the back of my mind, I did want to be a writer, but I'd been to the career service at university and they basically told me the route to becoming a news reporter. And it was, you know, get on the beat, do the cover the jumble yeah. set, etc. And I just thought, oh, that just sounds like another huge mountain to climb. Yep. So I, I part that thought, but I did still think I do want to be a journalist. So I saw these guys and I thought they were really cool. And then a couple of weeks later, I actually saw them in a cafe. And to this day, I don't know what came over me, but I just went over to them and I just said, I think you're really talented and really cool and quite good looking, if the truth be told. Um, (laughs) Can I interview you? Because I want to be a journalist, but I know I'm going to have to have a portfolio if I'm ever going to make the switch. So the guy sat down and said, yeah, 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 come and join us. My name's Rob. And he was Robbie Williams. And it was, was he had just left his mum's flower shop to basically be in this band. And actually, Gary Barlow wasn't there. I got the sense that there was Stengali behind the scenes who was doing all the business meetings. And these guys, the other four, were just hanging out in the Mary Rose Cafe. So I sat down, got this great interview, which... Honestly, looking back, was probably their first ever interview. They invited me to their first ever gig, which was at Flix Discotheque in Huddersfield. So off I went, went to their first ever gig. And then, do you know what? That was the end of that story until about 18 months later. So I've done my law school by now and I've actually started doing my traineeship in a big commercial firm. But I was actually at the, the London offices, Manchester office. And I won a competition in a magazine and I went down. It was actually to go out with two male models. There's a bit of a theme. <laughs> um, so I did win the date with the two male models who are absolutely lovely. But I just remember having this moment of clarity, this eureka moment thinking, this is what I want to do. Because I met the journalist who was, you know, writing about these two readers from Manchester who had come on this crazy day date. And and that would, you know, that just crystallized what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Also, I thought at that point. So I used to take time off from the law firm and go down to EMAP, as it was at the time. Um, it was more magazine. And I used to literally open envelopes, do transcripts, you know, all the sort of really junior work. And then when I qualified, I went to work in the commercial property department and really knew then that I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. And the editor of Moore phoned me up and said, you're either really dedicated or a complete lunatic, because I'm about 25 by this point. And um, there's a job come up as a junior writer. We think you should go for it, but you do need a portfolio. And because I'd been doing very, very junior work, I hadn't actually got much published writing but I did have this take that interview and they were like oh my gosh this really showed initiative here and I got the job and and I never looked back and I had 10 really really happy years in journalism um until did, I did you, novel writing. did you quit the, the legal job at that moment then I did. yeah I did um, that is an excellent story so I don't think I would have had the balls to go up to a band cold like that. That's very impressive. Well, it was cold. And do you know what? I mean, I'm quite an outgoing personality, but I re- I'm not a hack if you sort of get, you know, I'm not that super pushy person mm-hmm. who has mm-hmm. to go and work for tabloids. And this is why when you do look back, you think, crikey, that really wasn't in my personality sort of zone. I'd really 
gone out on a limb to do that. So perhaps something somewhere was telling me just yeah. <laughs> Where did you go on your date with your two male, male models? We went to a T, what was it called? Is it TGI Fridays? Friday place, Leicester Square. Brilliant. They were called Jez and CJ and they were really, really lovely. But as I said, what what caught my eye was was the, the journalist. journalist. Was the yeah. Journalist. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, of course, of course. It was purely, 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 purely like an exact business. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, so my career path at the start was really a lot of luck, to be honest. And I think you can say you make your own luck, but sometimes I always say to any young person who actually isn't quite sure about what they want to do or they've got a vague idea they want to do something else but are not quite sure how to get there, I think just by being really open with people and just being friendly and chatty and opportunities that I think are meant to be will mm. come your way. And and when you were working in journalism, were you, at what point did you start thinking... I want to write fiction. Was that always something that was burning away inside you or was it during that journalism? I was always a huge reader as a, as a sort of a teen, you know, sort of that, those sort of quite tortured years, 16 to 19. I was very arty, used to spend a lot of time watching art house movies at the corner house in Manchester, read a lot of good fiction, um, but didn't do an English degree in retrospect, probably should have done. Um, and then as a journalist, I went to work for Heat magazine at some point. So I used to get sent a lot of books there. So I th- there was a lot of books in my life and I've always been a big reader and writer. But I think I was just generally a very creative person. And I don't know, do you remember? It must have been about 2002, 2003. Chitlet was really a huge thing. So Bridget Jones had come and gone. Actually, I remember on my lunch break, going to Waterstones in Covent Garden and buying Bridget Jones' diary and just loving the comedy of it. And I actually wrote a column for More Magazine, which was very much in that that sort of <clears throat> zone and thinking, wow, this is brilliant. This is, you know, being an author isn't necessarily being Hemingway. It can actually just be really great women's commercial fiction, which was actually not 100 miles away from what I was doing, writing you know, semi-fictional columns for more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose where the switch came was, so I think because I was just so grateful to have this job in journalism, I actually went through the ranks quite quickly. So I was an, ed- I was an editor quite quickly. And I got to about thir- age 34 by this point. So I've just got married and I'm just about to have a baby. And I'm looking around thinking, actually, Women's journalism is fantastic, but where do women go after 40? And I did have a boss actually at the time who was, you know, a good decade older than me, but she was the exception rather than the rule, really. And it was a young man's game, really. And so I thought, right, what I think at that point, when you get married and you start thinking a bit about life plan, lifestyle planning, it was I probably need to be thinking exit strategy here sooner rather than later and I knew I didn't want to go down the publishing route in magazines I mean generally a lot of publishers are not former editorial people they tend to be people who come from the advertising side so I kind of saw a lot of opportunities narrowing rather than opening and so I thought I'm going to have a crack 
at a novel. And so I remember myself, my husband, who wasn't my husband then, um, and another guy who is actually now my brother-in-law, Will Storr, who's a great nonfiction writer. We all went and got a little National Trust cottage and we all went away for a week and just wrote. And actually that book didn't go anywhere. I found it fairly recently. It was a really poor attempt. But actually what it was good at was just sitting down and getting words on the page. And so when I did go back to thinking about it seriously, this is about a year later now. So actually I was probably engaged at this point. Then I go on honeymoon. I'm now married to, to John. Uh, my husband and I remember being at the airport being at Heathrow airport and looking at at the bookshop and thinking I really want a beach read I want you know Jilly Cooper or Jackie Collins but I'd read everything that they'd done and so I bought a um a biography of the Mitford sisters and I read that in my hammock and at the time I just thought wow this is a really great this is a really great premise a sort of you know, some five very controversial sisters, what would they be like today? And that there was my idea for my book. And I started writing a book called Daddy's Girls, literally on honeymoon. Actually, I was sort of sketching it out on honeymoon. And then when I came back and I felt as if I'd moved into this second phase of my life where I wasn't going out all the time and, you know, yeah male models and going to <laughs> no more TJ Brady <laughs> living the dream living the something dream um I just kind of just wanted the quiet nights at home with my husband so actually every every Wednesday night I think it was and every Saturday morning I was just really really disciplined and I mm. just used to crank out the words and I got, I remember my, my friend Polly Williams, who's another great writer called Eve Chase. Now she was worked with Insta, worked at InStyle with me, but she was sort of six months ahead of the curve. So she started writing a little bit before me. She got an agent very quickly. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, Polly's got an agent. I'm never going to get an agent because I knew how tough it was. And we both got agents and then Polly got a great book deal and I was like, oh, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice in the same office. And then I got a book deal. And and that and that was it, really. So things did happen quite quickly. And I finished that first novel. Um, so I knew when my son, I, I knew when I was going into hospital, I had a, a induced birth. So I knew when he was arriving. And I literally finished it eight hours before I went into hospital. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> That's and, a deadline um, for you. and in terms of when you when you did find the agent you know did having a career in the journalism side of things was, was that helpful or did you were you using a context or was it a case of just going cold do you know what i mean um you know how people say don't you oh you just get the writers and artists yearbook and that's what I did. I mean, like, literally, I suppose I could have made loads of phone calls and I could have asked around. And actually, Polly did put me in touch with her agent who did take me, who did agree to take me on, actually. But then she went quickly on maternity leave. So that option was was closed. Um, but that's what I did. And so my first agent was Sheila Crowley, who was at AP Watts at the time. She's a fantastic agent. And I literally just sent off a letter and it was sort of back in the day it was just sort of pre everybody sending things digitally and I just wrote a a fun letter 
made sure actually and this is a really good tip find out who the assistant is because generally it's going to be the assistant who reads it mm-hmm. and i just gave a bit of my back- background it turns out that the assistant really enjoyed in style magazine so that was a that was a definite help for me but yeah i just found out the name of the assistant i wrote a very personal letter to her and she she passed it on and i got i got taken on so yeah, yeah. and and since since Daddy's Girls came out, you've not really looked back. Um, <clears throat> you you were uh, you've been prolific since then. I think it was a book, a, at least a book a year for the first yeah. few years thereafter. Um, was that deal? Did you get a, a multi book deal when you first signed on, or was it just a, yeah? One book? I got um, my first book deal was a two book deal. Then I got yeah. another two book deal. Then I got two four book deals. Right. Ooh, nice. So that, so I mean, actually, yeah, that's it's. Um, there's a lot of security that comes with the longer book deals, but you can get a little bit caught out with it as well because perhaps you know I I had a great relationship with my editor, but at the top personnel was changing, and I thought perhaps I should be somewhere else. And obviously, you know, I think what I realise now as quite an experienced author is that you have to be a priority in house to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to work if you're sort of flailing around at the bottom or in the middle you probably won't ever get anywhere near the 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 chart so I think it's really important to build into your negotiations and tying yourself to publishers just balance the security with the flexibility because if for some reason it doesn't work out or your editor leaves or you know you don't like the, the 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 any cultural change or whatever, then then you are tied mm-hmm. to the publishing company. So and and did did the discipline that you had for writing Daddy's Girls um and, and hitting that, that important deadline, did uh, did that discipline and I suppose the discipline of writing for magazines and stuff help yeah. when you suddenly have these multi-book deals that you know you have to be handing in yeah. the work. Uh, for sure. And they, I mean, these were really thick books as well. So I wrote a book called um, Kiss Heaven Goodbye that was actually 210,000 words when it was it was submitted. It, it actually came down to about 175, I think, in the end. But because I, at the start of my career, I was doing these really thick books, that became the norm for me. So I just had to be really, really disciplined. So that would be the big takeaway tip from my career is just whether you're doing this full time or whether you're doing this part time and juggling it around a portfolio set of careers. Absolutely find that time in which you should write and just, you know, obviously different people have different ways of writing. But for me, I just really like to get something down on the page and get that first draft done as soon as possible. And it sort of doesn't matter how scruffy it is, just let it develop. So mm-hmm. I probably do about three or four drafts on a novel and it changes all the time. But for me, just that discipline and that um, ability to kind of crank it out for one for a better word you know I'm sure some writers really sit there and they can write a beautiful sentence and it might take them five or ten minutes just to mm-hmm. really choose the word and that's great and you can often see the the beauty in those in that mm-hmm. prose um, but I'm not one of those people it's it's pure story 
pure plot. I spend a long time actually. Um, I've got a huge, huge, I don't, I don't know, my husband got it for me. It's the biggest pin board I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's literally, I've just got all colour, you know, those cards that you used to do for yeah. And I've just got all different colours and it's all on the, the this massive pin board as one giant jigsaw. And I, I think actually that's the lawyer in me, that sort yeah. of discipline and attention to detail. And I probably won't even start a book until I've pretty much nailed down all the bits. So character can change, dialogue can change in later drafts. Yeah. Generally the skeleton and the structure of where it's going doesn't change. Yeah, it's funny because I I have very much the same feeling of like I need to know I need to know that where this is going that it's going to work and it's all going to fit together, albeit with the knowledge that things will change as you write yeah. it. But yeah, that I, I'm I'm very much a planner beforehand as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you're the same, Terry. I I try to plan it, and I, for me, I like to have points to hit along the way, but my, my my struggle is if I if I plot too much, I get a bit bored when I'm doing actual writing because I feel like I'm just filling in the gaps and I'm like I already know this part. So I kind of I kind of like that spontaneity bit. But then that the trouble with that is that then I get I write myself into a corner or I can't think what where where it should go next. And and so yeah, so I think I think having the plot set out like that before you go is 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 really helpful in terms of giving you a steer of where you just know where you're writing to, and that's that's really helpful. And having an, an ending in, in place writing with that, that, the, the last book that I wrote my ending wasn't in place and I really struggled to, to get it to land to go you know, change the ending a few times stuff and so yeah so that was having having as much stuff to aim for for me is is, is the big thing do you ever write the ending I wouldn't say first but often I write the end chapter or a version of the end, right. even halfway through the draft. Because when you do plan it in that way, often the stories percolated in your brain. And often I see the end quite quick, quite, quite quickly. And at least in three books I can think of, that last chapter was sort of written about two or three months in. Because I've exactly, never tried that. Yeah, and you're exactly helpful. how it's going to finish. And, and, and uh, so does that I've, mean that yeah. we... Oh, no, I was just going to say, I've never done that. I have, like, if there's a key scene or something mm-hmm. like that, I've definitely mm-hmm. sort of jumped ahead to that and sort of at least sketched that out in you know, um, and played a brink with that and then gone back to the, to the other bits. But I've never written the end, though, yeah. so, so early. Yeah. And, and does that mean that when you... When you are writing, you know, your, your your number of revisions is fairly low because you're kind of, as you see, the dialogue and stuff might change, but the kind of bones of it is locked in. So it's 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 not as long a process or not as many redrafts until you're happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I say, I'm, I probably do three drafts, um, four occasionally, but generally mm-hmm. three. But those... The second draft, I always call it the jigsaw draft, which is generally I'm moving things about, but it's often just dialogue or I insert bits in to flesh out characterization. But that first draft is generally the bones often don't change. So, and that's from the plotting. That's yeah, from just yeah. being a very disciplined plotter. Uh, do, you, do you, so, I mean, it sounds, uh, obviously you've got a very disciplined process there and 
a system that works for you having written all these books but do you ever get that that moment of like getting halfway through or something and thinking this is doesn't work or it's not happening as I thought it was going to happen do you ever encounter those problems do you know what I haven't had that yet but that's because I don't start until I know it works I mean I've at least got two ideas that are sitting on my desktop as we speak and I know the great books and they've got great titles and I've done the sell on them and the blurb and I kind of always want to, you know, I know I want to buy those books yeah. myself. And that that's often the secret is try and flesh out your package before you even start. Mm-hmm. But I mean, literally one book that I, it's set on the Orient Express. It's very glamorous. It's a great mystery, but I just can't make one piece of the puzzle work. And it's quite a key part and I've just left it. So I've yeah. kind of got 25,000 words just sitting there neglected and one day (laughs) one day day, and every now and then I'll sort of give it some thought and every single time I hit the same sort of wall and I think do you know what I think what's going to because I do want it to come alive this book I do want it to live I think probably I'm going to have to completely throw something's got to be thrown out or something has got to be added and that addition could be do you know what? Getting a bunch of friends, I'm actually going on a writer's retreat in about six weeks, and they're really useful just for throwing around ideas. Yeah. Because, it's, you know, it's a lonely business. Mm-hmm. And you think, I'm, you know, I'm sort of quite self-contained. Um, I don't generally like brainstorming with other people, but they, it can be really helpful. And sometimes one person can just say one thing that will set you off on a whole different track. So with this book, this neglected book, the Orient Express book, I am I'm prepared to consider something radical because <laughs> because it's been sitting there for a while, yeah. sitting there dying a very slow death. <laughs> and it, does that process also mean then that when you send in your your drafts to the editor or whatever that there aren't major changes to be made when they're looking over it yeah I mean generally my um drafts are very clean when they go Mm -hmm. in sort of you know minor things um but no I like to give it in pretty much cooked yeah yeah that's not to say I'm not open to, to to suggestions but yeah well yeah I was going to ask that because obviously you've been on the other side of that sort of table being having been an editor albeit in a magazine so slightly different but do you think that makes you more receptive to suggestions knowing the position that the other person's in um yes I say that now as as sort of somebody who's written 16 17 books but I remember my first novel that was the one where there was the most change at the end. And I remember Wayne, my first editor, who's great. Sorry, something keeps pinging. That's okay. Uh, um, Wayne, my first editor, just went, you know what, this ending, I know what you want to do with it, but it's beginning to feel like an episode of The Sweeney. And I was like, that's not the vibe we want. (laughs) You know what, even though I knew he was right, I was really, really resistant to change But I, you know, I knew he was right at the end of the day. I thought he's he's when you sort of take a step back and you don't yeah. be so precious with it. 
And I think I'm much more brutal with my own work now. You know, I mean, now, again, a few years in, you do get a lot more dispassionate. I think at the beginning, you are hugely emotionally involved, mm-hmm. I think, with with your work and, your, and what you write. And it's like, oh, I've put so much, my heart and soul has gone into this. Whereas now I'm kind of like, oh, okay, if you think it's changing, you know, let's have a chat about it. Um, I suppose it's because, yeah, in that, if it's your first book or whatever, then you have, you've probably spent longer on it than you would normally in anything else. And it's the the achievement almost is that I've done this now and now someone's wanting to change it. Whereas once you've done five or six or seven or eight, you know you can do it. So you're maybe more, you know, there'll be another book at the other side of it kind of a thing. So I don't know, just that that might be something. I I think that's absolutely right. And I also think, um, again, with with the benefit of experience, you realise that actually it's a business and this mm-hmm. this, this is a business. And, yeah. you know, certainly for people who do, you know, more literary books, for want of a better word, perhaps I would still want to keep a very mm-hmm. tight leash on it. But now I very much take the view if a reader or a, an editor or a publicist or someone in the marketing department feels there's a major issue with something. And, and thankfully I haven't really had that, but you go, actually, this is all about the reader. This is all about the reading experience. And this mm-hmm. if it isn't working for one person. It's probably not going to work for lots of other people too. And yeah. I want to deliver the best reading experience possible really. So I think once you remove that, emotional connection with your work and see it as and this is going to sound brutal and and sort of uh, but it's not meant to be sort of see it as a product that is there for people to consume and enjoy then you constantly think about the reader more rather than yourself yeah Um, Yeah. so I'm always thinking about the reader it's like I love reader feedback I love getting messages um, you know, obviously, sometimes suggestions don't work. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we do this for. People pay money for what we produce. Yeah, and- absolutely. I wanted to ask you about um, some of your young adult books, which you've written under. No, you've written them under a pseudonym, Mia James, with your husband. Yeah. And and I, I had a few questions I wanted to ask you about that. The first was you know, what's it like writing with someone else? Do you, and, and especially writing with someone that you're so close to, is it, does that make it easier or does it make it harder? And what's your process? Is it chapter about, do you just revise each other's chapters? How does, it, how does that work? Do you know, in that case, in Mia James, it was probably 75% John, to be honest, whereas he did the bulk of the writing. I did a lot of the editing mm-hmm. and I did a lot of the plotting as well. So I think it's, if you ever do a collaboration with somebody, you go into the process um, knowing what your skills are and appreciating what the other person's skills are. So I think, yeah. you know, me and my husband, we have worked as journalists together. So we already had a good writing relationship as well as a personal relationship. And I think with the words, I was I had a very light touch with it and I think if I thought plot points weren't working or if you sort of deviated Mm -hmm. my skeleton Mm -hmm. that's when we'd have chats about it but it was actually a really really great process and 
you know, there's lots of husband wife writing teams like Nikki French, uh, and it it it's fantastic actually. When it works, it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have to say, he um, we were getting a bit too close and a bit too on top of one another. So he got a shed in the garden, and then I <laughs> shed envy, and I'm like, now I'd like a shed, and he's like. Oh. <laughs> at me from your she shed and I'm like oh. so anyway but but weirdly we've now just you know when the whole world is moving to work from home we've just got an office so actually I mean weirdly given that I wanted my own separate space we're now back working together in the same room but we actually have to do a commute to do it. it's only a 20 minute walk but it's mm-hmm. been fantastic you know just both of us getting out of the house and yeah. And also, and again, I don't know what it's like for you when you're working and writing, but it's it bleeds into the rest of your life, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard to keep that separation. It's quite nice, I suppose, to have that, always able to bounce ideas off. You know, as you say, it does bleed out. You're always kind of mulling things over or you're saying something and wondering if that, or you're scribbling a note down whatever, and having that kind of living in that full time, yeah. I guess it, it must be quite creatively fulfilling I suppose creatively fulfilling and yet you we've got to be you've got to be really really careful that it doesn't become too full-on I mean mm-hmm. my husband probably reads we actually when we had to do our tax return recently we was sort of collecting all his receipts he's like oh my gosh I read 180 books last year it's like whoa <laughs> you know that's pretty for not he's always reading but he's brilliant at at the end of the day and after we've had dinner we've got a 16 year old son um he just chills out and reads whereas I find it really hard to switch off Mm. and actually this was a couple of years ago I've not been because of covid but on Friday afternoons we just used to literally down tools and there's a local art school near us and I used to go and do um, children's illustration classes. And it was so nice. embarrassing because everybody thought I was going to be really good. And I was terrible <laughs> to tell people just because I could write books. It doesn't mean to say I could illustrate kids books at all. So my husband went to, um, he did live drawing. And it was great, actually, just sort of to spend the last afternoon of the week decompressing and going and doing something creative um yeah because otherwise yeah. it's it's so, a bit much yeah sometimes you do need to you need to take a break and do do something completely different but um spe- speaking of doing something different you you've more recently moved into the world of, of thrillers and you're writing under a pseudonym there as well yeah. uh, jl butler uh, i was going to ask before we get into the books why pseudonym and why the initials yeah. Well, the initials is my mum and dad, because bless them, they were quite disappointed when I wasn't a lawyer. <laughs> so it's like, it's payback time. <laughs> um, thanks for supporting me on my creative journey. So yeah, so Jerry and Linda are my mum and dad. And um, yeah, so that was that. The pseudonym is a bit more tricky. That was... So basically, with most contracts, I think is the case now, there's anti-compete clauses and things. And this book had actually gone to a different publisher from where the Tasmina books were. Uh, okay. And I think contractually, as 
as legally um, trained people who <laughs> know this. Um, but, you know, I think we could have, there was some wiggle room in it, but it probably would have. And I had a good relationship with both publishers. Uh, the thriller went to Harper Collins, who I was with, who did Daddy's Girls. I had a really great relationship with both publishers. And I just didn't want it to get complicated, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so, hence the pseudonym, because it was... Yeah. Okay, that, that's interesting because I wonder because we have had um, some guests on before that have said that there was almost uh, to be fair they were sort of starting out, but um, you know female authors that were starting out in a sort of crime or thriller yeah. genre and they were told to use not maybe not a pseudonym but initials and stuff so yeah. that people wouldn't necessarily know they were female and written this book because because the marketing didn't think it would work as well, which I find incredible these days, but yeah. it seems to still be a thing. It does seem to be still a thing, and it, it wasn't the reason for why I did it, and and HarperCollins were very open to whatever name yeah. I wanted. Yeah. Um, interestingly, though, when you do talk about names, so, you know, my name is Tasmina, but mm. everyone, I've been Tammy from birth, but for daddy's girls they did want me to change my name tammy because why and why tammy and perry all right it would be problematic on a cover so there are some sort of practical considerations when you're thinking about your your pen name um but yeah with jail butler fine but it does although you say that i would say probably 80 percent of my my audience is still women with with the thriller and actually i have loads of men who read tasmina perry book so i don't think this stands really this no yeah and i I wonder when you you know you've got these three pen names or two pen names and one actual name suppose yeah um that that you write your books under and you know did you ever feel that when you were starting your your first book with your new name that you were kind of going from scratch or, or having to build your audience again or did people follow you was there an an awareness of who you were even though the name was different on the front cover um I mean I I I think I find it a little bit exhausting sometimes you feel a bit like Clark Kent sometimes (laughs) (laughs) but actually people do follow you and you know I was always you know back to me being a bit of a sort of old school you know, living in the 20th century. I was like, oh, social media, does it really matter? <laughs> of it is really powerful. Yeah. And you put something out on Twitter or Instagram because your fans tend to be there, your readers will, will come and follow you. So there is a lot of natural um, follow through just by letting people know through newsletters or, you know, as I say, Insta or Facebook that, hello, this is this is me. Um, yeah. And you could always tweet, you, you know, you, you, as as your own name, you could tweet that this Mia James is is, uh, is the next big thing, and everyone should go and buy it. And you could just you could just feed off each other and just build this. Uh, I like I like your strategy. <laughs> I, I may try it. <laughs> you know what though? If I had my time all over again, I probably would go for a completely different. I would sort of hide behind a pen name you know I'm I'm sort of quite envious about people like Sophie Kinsella who've got this 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 public life almost and then mm-hmm. you know she's just maddie behind the scenes because you know obviously careers have um sort of ebbs and flows don't they and 
you know, I, you know, you imagine a scenario, for instance, where, you know, Tate Tasmina Perry, you know, has a huge bomb. It's hard not to make that feel personal, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. or, you know, publishers coming along and going, oh, you know, well, well, bad sales track. Let's mm-hmm. change your name. And I think that that brings a lot of conflicting emotions, actually. Yeah. Because actually, that's me. You know, it. it, mm-hmm. it should imagine it feels like a personal slight yeah. on on yourself so actually if if i would give anybody advice it was perhaps use a name that's a lit that's a lot like yours but you've also got a little veil to hide behind that can also give you some separation from your mm-hmm. private identity yeah and on the, on the so the first thriller I think was was mine, which was a big success. And you sold that to Sony Pictures, is that right? I did. Well, do you know what? That was an interesting one because you know back to all these things sitting on my desktop. So a few words of encouragement to anybody that's got you know words lying in a folder. That the book that became mine was actually sitting in a folder for nearly four years and. Unlike the um, uh, Orient Express book, where I have hit a brick wall on the plot, with mine, it was absolutely crystal clear what I wanted to do with it. You know, I had this idea, it was fully formed. I was really proud of the idea and confident people would enjoy it. But do you know what? I just didn't have the time because, you know, back to saying, you know, I was doing one book a year. I think one year book, I one year I did two books, the headline, and it was pretty exhausting, to be honest. And so the thriller got neglected, not because I found it tricky, but because sometimes there's just not enough hours in yeah. the day. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, if you've got that project, just give it some love and if you ha- if you've got this gut feeling that this is good a get it finished you know i think i sold it off about 45,000 words and oh, wow. yeah. yeah so my agent was like oh you know thrillers obviously it's better if you can finish it because you know the ending of you know just <clears throat> how many thrillers can be brilliant and then right at the end you feel as if you've been sold a bit of a dead duck so yeah. actually this one actually got sold off off um almost a half um and so I, I actually said to my agent listen and it was just coming up to London book fair I said please I just want to clear this off my you know I think it's good but if nobody else thinks it good I'll just sort of clear my slate with it because sometimes you have projects that are just filling your bandwidth you almost mm-hmm. want to to do something with them but if nothing's happening you just say oh forget it Anyway, she went to the London Book Fair and met a scout for 20th Century Fox. And she told him about the book and he said, wow, this this sounds really good. And then, you know, almost sounds like something from the film itself. But he mentioned it to another scout who was, who was actually the lady who found Girl on the Train. Um, before I knew it, this lady was literally on a transatlantic flight. She took the book, and by the time she landed in New York, it got into the right hand. You know, so all these stories yeah, that, yeah. that they yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. Um, she got it into the hands of somebody. They were looking for, 
you know, I wouldn't quite say an erotic thriller, but something with a kind of fatal attraction vibe. Mm. And literally by the end of that week, um, and you know what I remember, I actually went down to London Book Fair to see to see how it all works. And I I I, I had on this nice new top, and I remembered a bird pooped on my <laughs> walking into it. And but it's actually good, good luck. luck. <laughs> <laughs> It's good luck. And I was like, well, it's not good luck for me. I'm about to wander around London Book Fair <laughs> with bird poop on my top. So I remember having to run to Marks and Spencer's, get this new top. And unbeknown to me, this is when the conversations were <laughs> So I don't know. So so that's what happened with um, with mine. By the end of that week, it had been sold to Sony Pictures in a really great deal. And it was actually a case of the film rights going before the book rights. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, oh. um, and, and, and what's happened with that then? Yeah. Well, that was the good side of the story. The bad side of the story is that, you know, you'll know this as well as me. It's, it's really, really hard to get mm. things off the ground. And lots of books are bought on a promise that they're going to be the next girl on the train yeah. and mine did really well. Sales were great, but it wasn't number one of the New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. And I think it got to number 11 or number 12 in Britain. So it did really well by any measure. It was a success, but it wasn't that huge breakout hit. I think they were hoping for. So there's that because if you do get the enormous breakout hit that fast tracks it to being greenlit um, and the second thing that happened, it was put in the hands of a really brilliant production company. They, it's the guy who does the Fast and the Furious franchise. Oh, yeah. And he was with Sony. He was on some sort of first look relationship yeah. with them. So he was given it. And then literally at this time, um, he then went to move to Paramount. So it kind of became a bit of an orphan book, mm-hmm. which I subsequently is the kiss of death. <laughs> so it's now with a French production company and a script has just been written to be a French TV production for sort of the French equivalent of right, ITV. Cool. So it's very, very early days, but it's got further than it did in Hollywood. But nice. as I said, do you know what? For me, it's been an exciting adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I think whenever anybody gets a whiff of options, it's exciting. Take the money, you know, go and have a Hollywood cocktail somewhere. But it's <laughs> top, you know, it's top. Yeah, so many things yeah, have yeah. to line up perfectly. It for it to and move you know ahead. what, Tariq? I think that is absolutely it. I think this is a business where... Great books, I really do believe, will see the light of day in the end. Um, but often things do have to align. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, and that can depend on many things. And sometimes you feel a little bit out of control because, as I said, you know, an editor can change or an MD can change. Or, you know, I remember I had a my book, Kiss Heaven Goodbye, the big fat one I was telling you about, mm-hmm. that did really really well so much so that I was asked to ghostwrite a trilogy of books for Donald Trump (laughs) yeah um (laughs) this was before he 
was obviously th- this was sort of the tail end of his apprentice days. Yeah. And he apparently had a deal for doing a trilogy of books, wanted a ghostwriter. I was with William Morris at the time. My hat was put in the ring and I got turned down. But then I don't know what happened with that writer, but they came back saying it didn't work out with them. And <laughs> no big surprise. Yeah, had been a huge hit. And um, and would I be interested in doing it? And do you know what? I don't know what made me say no, but we got into negotiations and clearly I hadn't read The Art of the Deal. But... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was probably... A d- I, yeah, I agree. Dodged, yeah. I think that yeah, was I, I agree. But but it was funny actually what, what happens because it was because of that and really thinking about okay, another project has come along. And in the end, I didn't end up doing it, but it made me think about doing projects alongside my Tasmina book. So actually, that's why I wrote a second book in my sort of one year writing cycle called The Proposal. And it was also once The Proposal had been filed, why I then ended up writing the thriller called Mine. So I think it was me that actually, in a weird way, it worked for me, that opportunity that didn't Mm -hmm. happen because it made me think about parallel projects. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think there's a real temptation for authors just to have a very singular vision yeah. on one book that they're writing and do you know what sometimes it works it may be a big hit sometimes it might not work so I think to have something else bubbling alongside isn't 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 a bad strategy definitely and and now uh, you've you've got unfaithful it has just come out I think do you, yeah. do you want to tell us a bit about that so that so back to my law career so mine was about a divorce barrister basically a family law barrister and it did well and when you sit down with your editor to think about where you're going next I I generally present ideas to my editors and they're accepted but with this one they were like maybe you should be the law person you know maybe you should write and actually lots of people have had success with that um you know, Sarah Vaughan did Anatomy of a Scandal that did hugely well. Yeah. Um, so I was going to think of another legal book, for want mm. of a better word. And then it's you sort of, I always think as authors, you've got to keep your ears open to the world and listen to the conversations around you and, and try and get a sense of the mood that's going on at the moment and actually almost try and be at the start of the curve of the movie because it takes so long to write a book you don't want to be onto something by the time it's finished so I was just having lots of com- hearing lots of conversations about sort of women my age late 40s early 50s who perhaps had had big jobs or careers 15 20 years earlier but had taken time out to have kids and suddenly found themselves as empty nesters feeling a bit lost, a bit sort of flailing around looking for an identity. So I really wanted to explore that. So I decided against doing a legal book, although it does have a strand, a legal strand in it where basically our, our empty nester, she is, her daughter goes off to university. She's got a husband who's never there, very successful guy. She's feeling lost. She has a one night stand with a college sweetheart and she starts 
to get stalked basically and you you never really know who it is there's there's a cast of characters who could be trying to unravel her perfect life and so yes there is a legal strand to it but it was actually it's more of an exploration of identity post children really mm-hmm. and is is the thrillers are these types of books the ones that you're wanting to focus on just now or will you go back to the Tasmina name and write some more under that as well well I'm doing both so um meanwhile with the Tasminas so yes I am concentrating on the thrillers Mm -hmm. in the meantime I came out of contract with the Tasmina Perry um books and basically listen I can write quickly I can I was doing 180,000 words in a year, which actually equates to two, mm-hmm. I would call normal size books. Um, at some point, I do need a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, my best friend is a lady called Bella Andre, who is a super successful um, indie published author. And she was like, are you going to sign? She's been telling me for about five or six years that independent publishing perhaps is the way forward if you can write books quickly. So last year I took a really deep breath and said no to extending my contract for Tasmina Perry with my traditional publishers. And I guess, you know, I only did that um, because I had the, Harper Collins traditional deal as well so I kind yeah. of I'm slightly hedging my bets here and actually just set up my own little publishing imprint because my husband used to be a publisher in journalism oh, cool. so that's interesting and it feels really new and really exciting because my first little book which is called the singles table and it's a bit of a departure actually because it's a it's sort of a romantic comedy sort of Richard Curtisy style thing set at a wedding over a weekend and I probably wouldn't have been allowed to do that under the Tasmanian yeah. period because it wasn't mm-hmm. quite but again it was a sometimes these stories come to you and you're really passionate about them and I released it under my little imprint and it's come out now but it was in the Amazon top 100 bestseller list for three months it was I was really proud of that, actually. Mm -hmm. And one thing I would say to anybody listening, that it's really changed out there sort of since I started 15, 16 years ago. Back then, there was a a very linear way of doing things. You've got the agent, you've got the publisher. There were lots of gatekeepers. And the traditional publishing deal was the goal. And Mm -hmm. then once you got the goal, you then had to become a priority. And then... um, if you were priority in house, then you got the top ten bestsellers with if if the if the wins were with you. Whereas now there are lots and lots of ways to go to market and to connect. So I actually think these are really really exciting times. You know, you, you probably know this, but journalism is in a state of flux at the moment. You know, magazines are closing hand over mm. fist. Newspapers are having lots of of layoffs. But actually, the power is with the content creator, the Mm -hmm. the wordsmiths. And so long as you can spend a little bit of time 
promoting yourself, marketing yourself, understanding that this is a business. It's back to what we were saying earlier yeah. on. Mm-hmm. I think there are really loads of prizes out there. And I actually have just encouraged a friend to do this who was, I won't say who she is, but she's successful. You will see her books in every supermarket. And she was getting a really crappy advance, to be honest. And I'm like, do you know what? I don't know who's making money here, but it's not you. And yeah. actually you are the person who is providing yeah. the, you know, the, the story. And she has gone away and she's done it herself. And again, she was somebody else who took a deep breath and it was really scary. And she was given a very long talking to by her agent, Um, but she's done it. And she she actually sent me a WhatsApp message yesterday just to say she's made more in three months than she did all last year. So uh, it's exciting. So for anybody who has a door closed and you know what, for lots of people, you know, seeing the book on the shelves of a supermarket or in Waterstones is the dream. I still get excited. I can't lie. But there are lots and lots of other ways to do it now and make a living writing, which is kind of the goal at the end. Yeah. So is is that, that sounds like it's a sort of um, in between step between sort of your Amazon self-publishing and traditional publishing this is yeah. this is having your own imprint of yeah yeah and publishing your own books and selling them presumably online and things like yeah. that is that right which, yeah which is actually what a lot of people are doing so um companies like Bookachaw and mm. Joff yeah. Books are actually using the and both of whom are phenomenally successful by the way doing a you know really inspiring they're using the framework that the self-publishers, the indie publishers are, are using. And that Amazon yeah. is set up for them to use to actually go. And I'm, I've taken on another author, actually, which is exciting. I kind of don't know if I'm putting, if I'm piling up um, too much work on my plate. <laughs> but I also quite like, and I don't know what you guys think. You know, you're, you've got a great podcast. And it's, I think when you're a creative person, you like a selection of things to do you know yeah. it's great to have your fingers in lots of different pies and I think the days are gone I think there are some people you know there's a very very top slither of authors right at the top you know Ian Rankin Lisa Jewell who are getting fabulous <coughs> deals and you know feeling the love but the midlist is kind of huge now you know before yeah. I thought there was a a really fat slice at the top that's become a slither and lots of people that you think are making really great livings possibly not so I would say be really open-minded about digital publishers about doing it yourself you know setting up your own imprint isn't isn't difficult you obviously need to approach it as a business as you Mm. would approach starting a shop or a cafe or a restaurant you know it's a business you have to do things properly or you can take the pure I don't know there's, there's just it's exciting so yeah there's, def- there's definitely more options now than than even five years ago yeah never, never mind 10 years ago I think I think that's definitely true um 
Uh, but I suppose it, yeah, it can be a bit daunting if you're if you're starting out. You you because it's so drilled into people that you become an author by sending yeah. your three chapters off, getting your agent, getting picked yeah. up for a book yeah. deal. Yeah. You know that these other newer methods are still people are still unsure about them. But as yeah. you say, people can make great success of them and uh, and make a living of them, which is the goal yeah. really ultimately. You know, so I mean, um, yeah, no. That- that's one thing that I do want to do this year is that, you know, I've sort of, I've, I've had some great experiences, you know, I'm the girl who approached Robbie Williams and, and started off a whole new way of, of life for me. So I kind of, for me, it feels like I want to give back now. And so I really want to set up a, whether it's going to be an Instagram feed or a newsletter, I'm not sure what it's going to be yet, but just something giving out a lot of this information mm-hmm. because I think confidence stops a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, you're right that it's ingrained in people. I think if I hadn't have met my friend Bella Andre, I still would have had a very, very narrow view of, of what a career in writing mm-hmm. is. Um, and people need need information because, you know, it's it, as I said, I keep saying it, it, these are really interesting times. And mm-hmm. I think... They're sort of very meritocratic times as well. And just by removing the gatekeepers, people can have careers as authors, which is fantastic. Yeah. 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 That's really, really interesting points. What's what's next? I mean, you sound like you've got tons on on your plate. What what's next up? What's 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 next in the queue? Yeah. Well, I just went to Chapneys for three days last week. (laughs) (laughs) A holiday. And now I need a proper holiday. Um What's next? I am doing another Tasmina book. I have got a thriller brewing that I need to send to my agent and editor. I have got an, I'm doing a project for a television producer. And rather excitingly, I am working with a theatre producer of a musical as well to write a book. So nice. So all these ideas, but I do think one of them is going to have to drop because bandwidth is a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no that, that sounds great. And, uh, it, yeah, the, really interesting to hear about the, the imprint thing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, absolutely. It, for our listeners, you know, it is a lot of them want to get into writing, so it's always good to hear. Yeah. Uh, all of these different opportunities but well as um, I said if if anybody does want to get in touch you know I've had a lot of people be kind to me over the years so obviously I haven't got all the answers but I do have lots of different experiences in mm -hmm. lots of different fields so yeah that's brilliant yeah thank you What was the last book that you read? What was the? Well, I have a 16-year-old son. And when you have teenage children, particularly boys, you've got to kind of get them away from the video games and the <laughs> YouTube videos. So as part of the um the sort of the New Year's resolutions, we've decided to have a family book club. And we are nice. always some good literature. And I have to say, this is another good tip if anybody's got teenage kids um so our first book and we're all taking a month to choose a book so finn chose this month and he's chosen the great gatsby next we've got memoirs of a geisha which is my choice then we've got um 
Hunchback of Notre Dame. Again, if anybody's got any suggestions, send them forward. So I'm, so that's the last book I've read. I've just I read The Great Gatsby, you know, when I was the sort of very earnest 18, 19 year old. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic, you know, A, revisiting a great book yeah. because I do read a lot of women's fiction to have a look at the market. Um, so it's great just to go back and read classics, but do it in a way that is fun and a way that can connect you with people. And I know everybody's doing book groups with friends and neighbours, but actually to do one with your family. Yeah, that's nice. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's no. It's, actually, I like yeah. that a lot, yeah. And uh, what about the last film that you watched? The last film that I watched, oh, I'm having a real Nancy Mayer moment at the moment. So... Mm. Obviously, I watched The Holiday along with everybody else over Christmas, but I've been revisiting some of her old stuff. So I've just watched Something's Got to Give with Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. I mean, it's just brilliant writing, to be honest. And as I said, when my Tasmina book that I I published myself was very much in that sort of Richard Curtis vein. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really great to go back and revisit... um, just people who are really, really good at their job. And Nancy Mayer is fantastic at that sort of, you know, property porn sort of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So like she, she often looks at couples who are not 30 somethings who are sort yeah. of, you know, the Jack Nicholson, Dan Keaton one, they're 50, 60 something. And mm. I think actually that is a sector that needs exploring because, I don't know what your sense is of, of who's reading. You know, I like to think book sales are booming at the moment, but it's certainly booming at the the sort of the 50 plus end of the market. Yeah. And I think certainly in women's fiction, heroines are still the Bridget Jones style. Yeah. 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 I think there's a bit of a disconnect here. And And one thing that I would also say as well is, remember, and I think this is why these books are get, getting commissioned because a lot of the editors are female 30 somethings and so perhaps this is why there's this I think over representation in the market of a certain type of woman yeah it's what editors are looking for because it reflects them so I'd really love the subject matter of books to be opened out actually well that that going back to what we were saying it would be interesting to see if the expansion of other forms of, you know, writing that's getting out there changes yeah. the market a little yeah. bit. Because like yeah. you say, there there have been gatekeepers and maybe they are all around the same age and, you know, it kind yeah. of focuses on a certain certain area. So, yeah, that, that, that'll be interesting to see over the next few years if that changes. I mean, one thing that's been a revelation to me over the past year is actually sitting down and looking at the market in its widest sense. So when you start doing your own thing, you've got to get serious about the business Mm -hmm. side, looking at who is reading and who's reading widely, who's buying a lot of books. And actually 60-something women, I see it with my mom, actually. She's retired she will read, she's not quite where my husband is with his 180 books or whatever it is. You know, she's not there, but she'll burn through two or three books in a week. And it's very much the police procedural genre. Yeah. And um, and she's I've spoken to her about it. She's desperate to see more um people like her, women like her 
<laughs> being written about rather than she doesn't mind the 30 something hard bitten cop or she you know she she'll read it but as i say i spent a lot of time looking at who's reading and you know looking at the sort of real micro genres like sort of military sci-fi not that i'm yeah. going to write military sci-fi anytime soon but that's a really hungry market actually out there yeah. so one tip i would give to anybody out there who hasn't perhaps decided on where they're going to write is sort of fish where the fish are swimming you know go away and really have a very very broad look at the moment the the market and if you have a passion for say star wars movies back to what was the last movie you you watched often what you watch on tv i think reflects your tastes yeah yeah and i think you know if you do find yourself gravitating to june or star wars or whatever give that a go you know it might not get picked it might not get through the traditional gatekeepers but there's markets out there yeah and they're really absolutely yeah yeah and uh, what about the last tv show that you watched or are watching the last tv show i have just binged watch so I came back from Champney sort of all relaxed and all zen ready to start 2022 and um my great friend at school was uh she's called Nicola Schindler and she's a tv producer and she works really closely with Harlan Coben so she's oh yeah yeah doing all of the Harlan Coben adaptations and yeah, she's loads right now He's, yeah, he's. Lo- I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Like listening to your inner voice at the age of eighteen. I remember me and Nicola. She reminded me of this the other week. Um, you know, we were just like two normal girls from Manchester, and both started off doing law as a degree. She changed quite quickly. I didn't, but we both tried to start a school magazine, and we only did one issue. But it kind of showed. Apparently, we ran features like. What would have happened if James Dean survived? It was like, you know, that's not going to win the Pulitzer Prize anytime soon. But uh, we did want to do... Show from an, 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 an early age what your, your true goal was in life, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, um, Nicola's latest project was the Harlan Co- Coburn Stay Close. So I was all nice. zen relaxed after Champneys. And, and I don't watched, know, watched it. It was, oh, it's tense and it twists and twists and twists. And... Um, I mean, actually, something that Nicola did say to me, which is another good tip for anybody who has got designs on script writing, is Harlan's books, when you read them, they translate so easily to TV. Mm. There's so much action, whereas Mm. some authors can write brilliant books but if there's a lot of introspection, a lot of sort of first-person thought process you can be 80 pages in and you haven't got two minutes of TV there. So, you know, if you've, if you've got your eye on yeah. Netflix, I think that's the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> think of what would translate. Well, the, uh, that, that's, that's the main stuff again, but the very final, final thing we do is a super quick fire either or. So um, I will say there's no right answers in this one apart from one, but we'll start off with Gone Girl or Girl on the Train. <sighs> really hard I think I, I love them both I think it would have to be Gone Girl purely because I think those opening chapters and I can remember them really vividly are absolutely superb about the demise of journalism mm-hmm. and you know that's somebody I think her background might have been did she lose her job at, at, at Entertainment Week mm, not sure it just every single word any journalist who reads those chapters 
it's like literally having a pub conversation with a friend, but done in a really beautifully articulated way. So, so for, for pure writing genius and capturing a moment and a mood, gone girl. Nice. Cool. Uh, a night owl or early bird? Oh, do you know what? It kind of depends on the season. So I used to be um, eight o'clock, 8.30. You've still got to extract me from my mattress. And then I did a weird thing. I actually turned our, I moved our bedroom from the front of the house to the back of the house. And the back of the house gets loads of early light. And I had quite light curtains that I've not changed. And so in the summer, the light sort of hits it and at 5.36 in the morning, ping, you just feel yeah. ready to go. Whereas the old bedroom is quite dark. It's sort of north facing or whatever it is. I don't know. So actually I have changed. Um, the change of bedroom means. <laughs> no more an early bird. In the spring, summer, I am an early bird. Fair <laughs> enough. Nice. Um, and what about music or no music when you're writing? Um, I would always say, until about three months ago, I would have said absolutely no music until I discovered, and me and my son are big Harry Potter, Potterheads, we, we love Harry Potter. We have been to see the Warner Brothers experience literally about eight or nine times. It's got embarrassing now where you raise your hand. It's like, who's been here before? Yeah, <laughs> times. Um, and... Uh, I discovered the classical music suite behind. Oh, yeah. So it's like a sort of a compilation of really, really beautiful Harry Potter soundtrack music, but the, 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 the sort of gentle classical stuff. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so I've been writing a lot to that lately. Nice. Uh, TV or cinema? Oh, do you know what? I, I love the cinema. Again, it's something that is my thing with um, my son. It used to be my thing with my husband, mm-hmm. but he's been ditched out of the, out of the program. No, it's me and my shed. Is it? He, yeah. So my son <laughs> is another. He like he he loves. He just he, he you know wants to work in film or TV, and so he's got he's got much more highbrow taste than me. But that's our thing, cinema. Nice. And the uh, last one, real book or ebook? Um, a bit, but I have to say, I do the vast amount of reading on on ebook. And actually, again, you know, you know, I'm old. I'm quite old school. I never thought I would be that person, but just I actually have the Kindle app on my phone as well, and so I'm. Con- you know, if I'm going into London, I'll read on my phone. I read on my iPad. I've got a Kindle. It's far and away the best way to read, isn't it? It it, it (laughs) is. And, you know, I do, you know, say I'm at my sister's house at the moment and I bring my phone and my Kindle. I've suddenly got literally 500 books there. Whereas I'm just lugging old fashioned books around. Although one thing I do love that I've started getting into is if I do have a book, um, I really love beautiful editions of them. So I like Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. You know, there's a lovely spread pages and stuff like that. Yeah, just really gorgeous. Um, so yeah, excellent. Well, you've made Tarek happy because that's that's the correct answer. So, what do you say? So, I just go all the way, absolutely, just for the ease of it. And as you say, traveling with all these books and your device is fantastic, yeah. And also, you're published by Amazon, so 
I have to, I'm contractually obliged to say that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know that this this is where we are now. And what do you think about audio books? Because that's something I've really neglected. No, a big big but, fan of them for sure. Yeah, I've, yeah, so I've listened to a lot in yeah. the past year. Yeah, it's a, it's a very easy way to kind of get a book in if you're doing other stuff, etc. And it's, it's it's something that I've, I've got into more during lockdown, I think, than, than I was before. But no, it's I'm a, a absolute big fan. Yeah, yeah, these are exciting times. We are. <laughs> Uh, so we're we're starting off this batch of episodes with someone that that loved the ebooks there, Tarek. So I mean, I mean, it's a good start. This is it's a, a new season. A, I'm liking this. Yes, yeah, it's a fresh start. You know, people are really starting to stop lying. It's it's a, they're telling the truth. This is good. I've got a really good feeling about this season. Um, but no, thanks very much to Tasmina for coming on to the podcast. That that was uh, really good fun and a lot of really useful information. I think for people, um, even if we're not all going to be approached to ghostwrite for. Donald Trump. <laughs> I have to say, I was not expecting that. <laughs> no, I know. Just as well it fell through, though, I think. Can you imagine any, can you imagine a worse person to go straight for? I mean, I just, I, I would, uh, the, the thought of sending pages to that man for them to then come back with his notes, for, the, for you to then to follow Well, I don't <laughs> think it would be notes. I think it would just be entirely changed, basically. <laughs> yeah. About how great he was. But uh, no, it, it was really interesting. And obviously, as we mentioned at the start, that, that starting your new, uh, starting the imprint of our own mm. books is obviously a brave move, but it is something that can now work. You know, we, we've had last uh, batch of episodes, we had Hugh Howie on. Uh, who yep. obviously very big into self-publishing and stuff and now traditionally published obviously as well but there are just so many more routes both for new authors and established authors as well because even yeah, if you're established yeah. traditional publishing maybe isn't the best way to go you know yeah, the, totally. these I options mean, are now opening up it's something we've seen with LG Ross I know she's a, she started up mm. her own her own imprint doing her own books um, after after starting off, after finding success uh, trad, she then moved into doing it herself, but as you see that kind of middle ground between complete self and and and, and you actually it's, it's all, I mean, I don't want to say the best of both worlds but you do have more control I think yeah. over stuff and the hard part I, I guess would be trying to make a name for yourself or break in yeah, because I, I, I think you need to have that circuit. you need to have that inbuilt base fan base yeah. you know followers that Absolutely, are going to yeah. come with yeah. you to that and, and believe in the project with you and also you need to be willing to do the marketing yourself but as we've heard from other authors unless you're a top ranked author you're going to be have to push in your own book anyway yeah so so why I mean I mean the, the the common sense argument is why are you if you're going to do the work anyway why are you get letting people take a percentage mm. of it where you could keep much more of the proceeds your, your, mm. yourself do maybe a little bit more work but not much more and have much more control over stuff see much more income coming in it's a really interesting model that that we're, I'm seeing more and more people do and yeah it's it's something that I think if you have had some success in that area of writing and you want to kind of branch out on your own but have more control and That's a bit more. It, it, it's another. Impact. It's a big. It's a brave step, isn't it? Because you're you, having worked up, finding the agent, getting the publisher, establishing yourself as a writer. You're sort of going back. You're on. You're not going back to the start, but you're kind of taking off the safety wheels that you spent so yeah. long yeah. making sure you could find um, and and yeah. and stepping out into the unknown. But I think more as more people do it, it will become 
less frightening and and maybe totally uh, we'll totally see it and, as a more common and I think thing. I think also it shows that there's so many readers are ferocious loyalists like they will follow yeah. an author that they like and if you have that loyal following they don't care who whether you publish yourself whether mm-hmm. one of the top big five or whether you've created your own imprint you know they, that's all behind the scenes stuff to a lot of people you don't you won't even rec- you won't even register yeah. to them so as long as you've got that loyal following they'll they'll, they'll follow you wherever you, your book comes out yeah no that's definitely true and actually you know, what you find is that that loyal following doesn't need to be as large as no as you think but it's difficult to get to that yes, number yes you know it, a, f- a few thousand loyal followers doesn't sound like much in the grand scheme of things but it's incredible oh yeah yeah and to, then and then and then if you're able to yeah. get a few thousand if you if, if you can then take 90 percent of the proceeds as opposed mm. to thirty percent, that's yeah. a massive jump in your salary, and yeah. and and so it's a really yeah. interesting model. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, thanks very much to uh, Tasmina for coming on, and obviously her latest book, Unfaithful, written as J.L. Butler, is out now. So go and grab a copy of that, and we'll put a link to buy that in the podcast description. But we have another great guest next week, and I'm going to let you <laughs> introduce. Her. I've been I've been working the online app. Uh, pronunciation machine here to try and work hard to say so I don't want to say it wrong but next week we are chatting with the awesome Lilia Sigradotter which um, I believe I've just nailed so I have not I do apologise <laughs> but she is an Icelandic author um, who she's spent her time now between Iceland and Scotland so quite a cool mix there and she does that mm-hmm. kind of Scandi noir Icelandic mm-hmm. noir genre um, and her latest book it's a series of books which the first of which is Cold as Hell which is the first in a new series, and it's an excellent crime novel, um, and she's a lot of fun to chat with. Yeah, no, it was really good fun chatting with her. So, um, yeah, please do tune in for that one. And um, before we go, it's always really important in terms of helping us stay in charts and um, getting get great guests on. Uh, if you can give us a review and a rating, and of course follow us and tell everyone you know about the podcast and get them to follow us because then we'll continue to get these great guests on. And of course, if anybody wants to get in touch, they can always send us an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk or send us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at right underscore gear. But uh, otherwise, have a great week. Remember to sign up to our newsletter and we'll see you next week. See you later. <laughs>